Deep America. Today I'll be interviewing Orrin, and today we'll be talking about his life, um, his parents immigrating, uh, a little bit about Black Lives Matter, and his new podcast, the whole at the whole hard truth, and what it's like to be an MC. Right on, man. So, so what do you like to make music about, Orrin? I was a lot, you know, starting with that. I got a pretty Colorful past. Uh, hey, we all do. Some of the you know, like first generation American. So um, I've been kind of on my own though since uh, both my parents. My mother is from South America, Guyana. My father from the Congo. Okay. Um, Strange from my father for my entire life. He passed away. My mom passed away when I was thirteen. So my life kind of restarted in nineteen eighty six uh, as a thirteen year old kind of wayward youth in, in training and my music tend, tended I think early to to deal with that um, just in, in ways that were either very direct or indirect I always said to myself I always wanted to be like the greatest MC of all time so metaphor and and just uh, you know the, the, the battle that I grew up on which was trying to be the dopest MC ever um, was a lot of what my music was about and then the rest of it kind of sounds very empowering you know well not not just for you but your audience man you know because a lot of people don't Because it's not genuine. <laughs> you know, you know. Okay, so let's. So, how do you feel about like these the protests for Black Lives Matter for African Americans being you know brutalized by the police? What do you What do you think about that? What do you How do you feel about that? Right. And then Breonna Taylor and, and um, George Floyd to follow. And obviously these things were on the heels of, you know, Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin and Michael right. Brown. And, you, know, just, you know, as a black man, you know, I think this year I had my damn it, that's enough moment real early in the process. Uh, and then you start to realize, you know, I think that my... You know, as the summer sort of drew on and watching, you know, got a chance to go to, you know, one of the protests, well, a few of the protests out here, one of the first ones, though, after George Floyd, and that was the first uh, 
American, you know, from the Occupy Wall Street sort of right. time, when I think back, I just don't think that Americans understood what it was that our predecessors in the civil rights movement or the anti-war movement um, during Vietnam, I don't think we right. understood what it took. And I think it's because of things like social media. It's a lot easier to, to protest and, and still live your life. Right. Um, when you can put, put up a post and feel like you feel like it becomes just another label yeah you know as a human being to end anything with death why, why are you going to go through the motions right. if, that, if that makes any right. sense and it's like what the fuck's no, actually right. going on anyway sorry man <laughs> no it's just you know so those things are kind of I think banding together on those messages of just in everybody's best interest and it's kind of oxymoronic to be screaming Black Lives Matter and we're not taking care of you know the problem that's very clear in a lot of inner cities you know,
That's that's awesome, man. I, I feel like to me, what you're kind of saying is is or not kind of, but Black Lives Matter, but pushing further as to what else is going on too, and where else this can be applied, instead of just in, in one place. The the interesting thing to me that I think came out this year that I was not like, and this was after uh, George Floyd. I think I saw a, a media or a news article right about how the police had like amnesty and being able to rape people they had arrested. Or have sex with her, and it's it's interesting because. Go ahead. What's up? No, I was gonna say I know I know the the stipulation of statute. They they were actually questioning whether or not you know a person can be consenting within police custody, and obviously you know in the quintessential case it would probably be a young lady right. in the custody of a cop, and how can she consent even if she consents, quote unquote. Well, it's right, and it's just like you know, a, a drug dealer to a, a person who is an addict. If you want this, you're going to do what right. I want you to do. It's the exact same concept. That's what like a lot of the stuff gets to me because since it's not happening to someone directly and it's outside of their perception. Like, they, we don't know how to, like, empathize and sympathize with, with things. But one of the things I was going to say about, about that in particular as well, man, is, like, you know, I've lived in small towns and dated women in small towns. Subsequently, some of those women had um, police stepdads that they gave me just crazy accounts where this rape stuff happened to them by these police, or their stepdad, who was a cop, but also told me stories of why... Their mother divorced particular cop because they were having sex with people that they would pull over, you know. Um, it, it, it just, yeah, it's insane, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, how, how do we fit? I mean, it, it's the same as the community that, you know, the whole thing with police, how I've been saying it, I think, since I started speaking on the matter, uh, is that, you know, the people who occupy it, think of pick a special type of person to occupy that position, right? The job managers, sure. Probably not nearly as dangerous as I think it's always painted up to be. That's right. not a take away from what they do. I'm just saying, it's like, it's not every day that a cop leaves the precinct and, you know. But when you sign up, you know you could die. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I think that's, I don't, you know, it's kind of a condition that we all share. But, you know, you right. know, you know their job description, okay, maybe you put yourself in arms where themselves with their mind (laughs) so they can de-escalate you know have have you ever have you ever looked into like the testing to become a cop 
It's testing I, I, about being a follower. I, That's it, not a leader. Right. Which is telling in I itself. Know, there was a couple of studies that they, they ran and they said a lot of cops, you know, fit the psych profile of a lot of girls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, you know, it's just power unchecked like that can obviously, as we're seeing, can just run them up. You know what I mean? And that, yeah, I, I look at policing as a necessary e. I mean, if you're going to give out speeding tickets and stuff like that, you shouldn't have much contact. There's no reason in the world that a stop, a traffic stop should end with someone getting shot. You know what I mean? There's right. no reason in the world that should happen. Right. Very rarely, you know what I mean, are you stopping a hardened criminal even if it's somebody who has a warrant or something of that nature. Right. And so, you know, I just, I feel like as an institution, policing, uh, you know, I, I have high school buddies that are cops, you know, right? And they're police officers. Right. I have a cousin that was a New York City police officer. I know the good people Right. Well, and I was going to say, too, like the, the media we ingest in America culturally towards cops, if you go back and look at that media, the movies and things of that nature are not about good cops helping people across the street, right? And so I, I think it's, I think it like a lot of this ties into like what we're selling as media to each other and why we're selling that as well, like our, our ideas to for success and, and to make money, I think, are so bloated and blown out of proportion that we need to assess that. I think that's one of the starting points. Yeah, I think you're right. You know and what I mean? You know, we are first consumers of media. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We are right. a consumer-based society, and it's like those messages, you know, for the longest have painted, yeah, a picture of policing that is either, you know, corrupt and, you know, Cowboy, exciting on the side of a car, shooting while you know while you're driving type shit. Right, and right. Are, uh, well, you know, everyday cops see on a daily basis. They see people who are in need of mental health services. They see people who are in need of you know aid in you know domestic situations. And right. you know, it's just that you know if they don't feel like a part of the community that they police, it's just a recipe for what we're. Well, and that's I, I think I think that's happening quite a bit too. You know, I mean, I, I've I've been raised in in poor areas, uh, you know, and I've had friends that were in poor areas as well, and a lot of these areas, like you know, in in Georgia, the poor area I was in is predominantly black. The cops you see come through there are white. You know, and, and to somebody who hasn't paid attention or anything, that may not make a, a difference, but there's all sorts of different attitudes. You want somebody that can go within that community and communicate, not somebody who's an outsider. And go, I mean, you that's a that's just bad news, you know? Yeah. And, there's no vested interest yeah, in, in, in the community that you patrol, yeah. So have you been paying attention to like the police reform stuff going on? Is there anything good? I mean, unless you unless you truly do it away with qualified immunity, I think uh, it's all kind of toothless, you know. Right. Saying that right. The bill that they passed here in Colorado is like, oh, cops have to wear body cams by 
Yeah, I know, I know, like, yeah. You know, it's something that should, you know what I mean? It's, it's insane, no. And I asked you that because I know about that stuff too, man, and it's just like, it's like, what, what are we actually, what, what are we actually doing here? You guys are just talking, and you're getting nothing done. Yeah. That's it. That's I all I'm seeing. I, I advocated for, and still do, uh, making, making it a federal requirement that all be licensed and bonded and insured. Uh, I actually wrote up a petition and gained as much traction as I, as I would have liked, but I wrote up a petition so, called the Gregory Act. Yeah. And uh, that's what it deals with. It, it, it basically, you know, uh, one federal standard could change the way policing, you know, happens in every locale because, you know, if a police officer feels like they have something more than just a couple of days' work to lose by how they interact with the public, you know, if they have if your ability to work is on the line, uh, you would probably get different results from the police officers. And that's from the inspiration that's straight from the mouth of Dick Gregory. It's the, awesome. like the common sense solution. And I, I, I hope they continue pushing that along as, as my platform grows. Because I just think that that, you know, it doesn't matter then what a cop goes and whatever their prejudices are. Right. It's like being a doctor, you know what I mean? Or being a pilot. You only get one chance to fuck up, right? Right. You lose your license. Right, so, man. It should probably be about the same with police officers. Yeah. No, it should be the same. There should be accountability within there. So you don't just, you know, I'll say willy nilly, like, you know, shoot somebody because you were a little nervous. That, that was kind of, um, you know, and, and like within the Gregory Act, so if a cop does something, then that means a civilian has the right to sue them as well? Absolutely. And what it would make sure is that the, the money that are paid, the damages that are paid, you know, you know, like I know, these are hundreds of millions of dollars probably annually right. uh, that are paid out, and, you know, from municipalities having to settle with people who have been mistreated by the police. Well, you make sure that those monies come out of the police officer's pension. You make sure that, because that would encourage me good cops right. to look at the overzealous cops and say, hey, man, now you're messing with my retirement. Right. So, that's a, you know, the, we, you know, the motivation behind most Westerners is your pocketbook, you know, because right, you right. have to make money in order to live here. So it's like, if you put that on the line early on, I think if, you, if you make it, you know, if you make it well known that you're not going to pay these damages out of some reserve cash that the, the, the taxpayers of your, of your, your city have set aside and their tax has been set aside for damages. That's what that hands up that that's what ends up happening now is that most of the damages paid are paid out of either fines from traffic stop, you know, the tea or the pool of cash that builds up over time from traffic and whatnot and then whatever other allocated funds come out of the city budget pays for that as opposed to paying it out of the police union pension fund. Yeah, I think you'd probably get a lot bigger results there too, because now you're talking about that hundreds of millions of dollars that could be for guys ready to retire is not sitting there because guys don't know how to behave themselves. And I, I would right. imagine that you'd see police start policing themselves in terms of their behavior. Well, that's, you know, and that, that would that would be phenomenal. And I, I think that could get them to have more accountability. It's just, it's, I, I hope we can get, get into it, you know, like getting, yeah, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't think it's completely getting rid of the police. I think it's, yeah. I think what it, what it is and what we need is we need like what you're doing here, man. Critical thought, 
you know, towards this, and it's obvious. Like, I think to a few people, it's obvious what needs to happen if they're not caught up in these narratives of this stuff, you right. know? Right. Um, so how did... Uh, so you, you, you set up a petition for the Gregory Act? Yeah. How does uh, that how does that work? Like, do you submit that to Congress or how do you do that? Well, I mean, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, one time I think we, you know, we wanted to get it on a, as a federal measure, mm-hmm. and we were working. So you gotta imagine that this was right after George Floyd that drew up. Right. The thought was, well, let's get something that could maybe make November's ballot. Obviously, we missed that window. Right. A couple of colleagues, a couple of friends, people close to me here that really you know jumped in and started started helping me shape the effort. Um, we realized that, okay, maybe we, we look at it from a state level first, and, you know, like that kind of pilot test program. So okay. the hope would be to get it on the Colorado ballot next year um, and see if we can get something passed. You know, they, like I said, they, they passed that police reform bill here. And yeah. I was happy to sign it, and everybody was, you know, sort of celebrating it and I think mischaracterizing exactly what the bill itself actually did if you read it I won't say it's toothless but it's basically right. um, more of the same you know reporting this cop has to tell this from the stop and by 2023 they have to have body cam and it's like you guys aren't serious about protecting people right right, right. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna allow that yeah yeah that's yeah it's yeah, it's uh I saw when they, they put that through, and I was like, yeah, 2023. I was like, well, I guess we can just keep killing people, you know, because we don't you know, have any accountability until 2023. Like, it's, it's nuts. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like, you know, these people are beholden, you know, these politicians are beholden to the police union. The police unions are a very powerful lobby, you find out. And then, you know, they, you know, the, the threats to stop policing certain areas. I mean, we've seen that crop up across the nation. Yeah. That, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to well, no, it now in this moment. You, <laughs> you know, you know what, what is, what is, I would like to say hilarious, but it's not. What is terrible, you know, is, is a lot of this stuff has went on way before George Floyd and oh, persisted. Man. And we're in 2020. And now that the George Floyd, de- you know, got killed in that manner on video, um, and now that that's happened, about every other day I'm turning the TV on and another black man is killed or somebody else is killed by the cops. And it's like, so you guys really want to tell me that you have a problem with brutality and violence and you're killing people, especially minorities, black people, but you, you, you guys want to pander to people and then do nothing about it is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think it, again hotly contested and political and that yeah, does yeah, not yeah. make for change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, and, and people, you know, start, you know, shooting sides and, right. and then it becomes political and then, you know, you're further driven into your you know, silo. You know, everybody's right. like, oh, blue lives matter, you know. Right. You know, well, no, you're divided, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's like nobody does it. I don't think anyone right I don't really I don't really support anybody killing somebody else yeah 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 you know that that's like this extreme measure to where you're about to die and then you need to defend yourself or something of that nature you know it's not that should right. never be an answer to it so uh, well, when, just, I mean, yeah, so, go ahead. 
No, go ahead, man. I was going to lead into something else. You're good. Well, I'm just going to say, when you, you know, when you look at it, you know, how many times you read the story where, you know, cop confronts bank robber and stops forced bank robbery in the middle of the bank. It doesn't usually happen. Most violent crime happens, and then detectives show up and fuck who did what. Right. And so it's just, it's just, I think it's further proof that it's like a little less, I think a little less, um, a little less eagerness to, to flex muscle and a little more, you know, a little more care for the community would yeah. be a great thing for police. Yeah. No, it would be, it would be amazing, you know. Okay. I appreciate that. So this podcast, man, I initially started it about a year ago. Um, and before it was ever cool to do podcasts, I was doing a podcast. I'm old. <laughs> right? Um, and so what this is, is when I, when I look out here today, I see just a bunch of people who don't know how to relate to each other. Right? And so what this is for is to break barriers down, I hope. Right? And for everybody to get to know each other, man. If that makes any sense. Wow. That, you know, what's crazy is the podcast that I'm starting, if you look on my page, what's up there, it says the whole hard truth. Uh-huh. Um, and I am literally, I, I did uh, kind of a social experiment myself. Okay. About two and a half years ago, I, um, because of something that I was going through, similar to what you're talking about, just my, I wasn't going through it, my, my oldest sister, or my second oldest sister, I should say. Right. Um, pretty high profile media personality was going through a thing um just kind of an oxen thing on twitter and my other sister and i got you know family being family we jumped in to, to say our piece and you know to send our sibling um and just that experience over about the course of about two weeks just left me so drained oh i bet like what the you know like what the hell is going on and what i ended up doing was i put up a a Google voice number on Craigslist told anybody who, you know, because the way that we talk to each other, social media is not interesting. It's kind of funny because, you know, you know, like I know, conflict used to get settled in a different way. Well, right. Yeah. People people are not afraid now. And in, in a way, you don't get punched in the face for disrespecting people, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so my post was more so encouraging anyone who's going to you know, at the point of speaking terribly to somebody else, either in their regular everyday doing or on the web, right. call me and, um, and just get something off your chest. And a guy actually took me up on it. He called me, and the story that he told me was wild. We talked about three hours, and he was in disbelief. <laughs> he was like, why are you doing this? I was like, the whole point is to, you know, be a sounding board for somebody who might otherwise, you know, sound off in the wrong way to someone else, and that kind of inspired the whole hard truth and as much as to say that I, I want to create a space where people can come in and talk their shit and tell the truth and not have to worry about, you know, being confronted or dehumanized, you know, because right. of disagreement. So right. it's interesting that you would say that. Yeah, I'm on that same page, but I think, well, I think we need more of that. I no, that. we, we need tons more of that man I, I would like to see like people in, in like almost every town do their own podcast about what's going on in that town you know, yeah. you know you know what I mean yeah. because then you don't have a conglomerate bullshit media you know like right. lay, laying these labels and these templates over these issues to try to sell a candy bar you know what I mean it's like uh, it dry it drives me nuts so do you uh so our Ariella 
uh, a young lady artist had referred me to you. Do you make you make artwork too, or? I'm a writer. So okay, I'm cool. cool. Uh, um, I started my writing career really as an MC. Um, cool. Uh, a band out here called Blue Chain. We rocked for a decade, um, and it was good shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. From that, my my professional background was radio and television. I worked um, for the fan out here. I was on air personality for the fan. Okay. On air for my high sports radio. On air with Fox Sports and Rocky Mountain and Sports. After that, um, and I took a film opportunity um, in 2014, and that moved me out to California. And so by the time that kind of that that path kind of finished. I was pulled down the rabbit hole of creative writing, so my art is my work. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think, like yeah. art becomes a real relative term. You know, cooking is art as well. You know, <laughs> sorry, sure. sorry about sure. that. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, cool, man. That's that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. so what I was looking looking at at your page there. Um, why are you a concerned citizen, man? I think much of what we just talked about, I think that we're on the brink of a change, and hopefully the change for the better. Um, it definitely could be a change for the worse, um, considering the landscape that we're at. And, you know, politics is the easy sort of lightning rod place where people congregate and get all their wiggles off. But to right. your point, you know, when you said that, you know, people should have a podcast in their town, I think on a granular level is how life is lived, but we tend to, a micro level is how we live life, but we tend to look at everything that we discuss from a macro level. And my concern as a citizen is more so for our humanity. You know, I think that politics, you know, first of all, it's bullshit, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. You know, the, the big national scale, the federal scale, the politics, the things that, of course, you can have some say-so in, in some regard, but no. Very limited. In your local, yeah, in your local, you know, electorate, you're, you're far more effective as a, as a voter. And then more than that, in your home and in your neighborhood and in your community, you're far more effective as a citizen. And so when we're having breakdowns like we're having, everybody's still living, we still live as close together as we always have, but things like we're further apart. So right. As humans, that concerns me because I think that the, what lies on the other side of that, you know, we're in, deep in the ideology uh, sort of era. Everybody has one and no one wants their opinion to step on or challenged or can't handle at least being challenged. Right. We're losing our humanity. That concerns me as a citizen more than anything. That, you know, we're well, not stepping forward with yeah. all our technological advances. It's like we're devolving. I was going to say, yeah, man, it, it should. You know, I, I think when, when I look at things myself too, to support what you're saying there is that we, we've lost the idea of community and, and how that, you yeah. know, we've lost the idea of how good it makes you feel to help another person out and see that other person then go help someone else out. And that domino yeah. effect of positivity, we've lost yeah. that. And, uh, that's terrifying because then, then yeah, we are, we are nothing more than, than animals really, you know, ready to yeah. jump on, on whoever. One of the things, um, that, that I, that I hope is, is real is I, I spent a lot of time in the South, you know, and, um, there was, uh, like I walked past this animal that was dying, right? And mm-hmm. it's a dying animal and it's, so that thing is reaching out. 
for life, right? Because it's about to die. And so when I look at the isms that are popping up now, and I mean, and it drives me nuts because we're in 2020, you'd think we were over these things and had sorted them out, but we haven't. I hope it's like a dying animal, <laughs> you know, racism, yeah. sexism, yeah. all the isms, man. Um, but all, yeah, uh, all of it, man. Well, tribalism, yeah. tribalism more than anything. But, right. You know, we're just far more fractured. It's interesting because, you know what I'm saying, you say that we're, you know, we'd be nothing more than animals. I personally, I think we do, we do well in watching how the animal kingdom sort of operate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs, dogs don't delineate amongst one another in terms of breed. You know what I mean? A dog's a dog, and right. a dog that likes a dog likes a dog, and that doesn't like another dog doesn't like another dog, but definitely not because German Shepherds don't like cows. You see what I'm saying? Right, and right. It's like, you know, as a species, they move in concert forward. Same thing with every other species. And, yeah. um, because we are so opinionated and, you know, so advanced, quote unquote, it's hard to see the reason humans have not been able to and not even see humans, you know what I mean, on the other side of whatever. And it's just like, yeah, we're, we're losing our humanity. It's kind of hunting task to sort of roll that back. Right. Well, you, you know, I, I think it like, it it comes what what I what I what I think is is even more bizarre is like we've lost interest completely in each other in a lot of ways. We're not as curious, you know. It's like when I when I was out of the country, that was one of the most fascinating times of my life, right? You know, I got to look at a, a different culture and actually be in that culture and check it out, which was amazing. You know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like, you know, hell, we're trying, they're trying to put a wall up against Mexico. It's like, have you guys ever heard of the fucking Berlin Wall? <laughs> you know, that that was a huge thing that we knocked that shit down. And here you are, not to mention the tunnels under any, all that stuff drives me nuts, man. So yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, it just, and it, it seems like with our political spectrum that it just like these extremes, they want you to latch on to yeah. these extremes, and it's like, it's like, what are we really doing? Oh, we're dividing ourselves now. It's like, well, wait a minute. Aren't we stronger if we're not divided? Well, I mean, you would think, yeah. you know, and there's strength in numbers, all the cliches that you can come up with, but mm -hmm. there are definite, there are definite uh, benefits to the ruling class, I believe, in oh, yeah. fractionalization. You oh, yeah. I mean? Right, right. The fraction we are. You know, and we're, we you know, the tribal anyway, so we're, we're already going to divvy up, you know, automatically we're choosing sides and choosing teams just on, you know, some basic shit. But that doesn't have to be detrimental. That can be, that can be beneficial if it remains, you know, I think if it remains super granular and everybody's concerned with their community and just starts there. But right. I, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's just, you know, we're, we're so easily divided and I don't, no, I, I personally don't either. You know, I, I look out here and uh, it just it see, seems like like entities or powers that be are going back to like the age old adages, you know, things that happened in the 60s and revving that up today, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. And it's no, just like, no, oh. no. okay, so let, let me ask you, so when are you going to put your podcast out? And you said it was a hard truth? Yeah, the, or the whole truth. truth. Uh, 
going to cover? The first one is going to be pretty deep. You know, like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to set a tone or establish a platform that uh, would be here to uh, stories, I think, and, you know, uh, the words of people who aren't quote-unquote famous or, you know, the household name, so to speak, but also more than that, for whoever is participating, sort of, I, I want I want to get a space where we can talk about things like what we're talking about right. and uh, not have it do the thing that currently happens right now, which is somebody says something that someone finds distasteful, everybody chooses sides, and then either it's the deplatforming that needs to happen or the you know the, the, the shutting down of someone's message just because you don't like or agree with what they're saying. So my first, uh, in order to, I think, create a, a space where people feel comfortable coming in and, and talking about real shit. You know, there are truths. I use myself uh, and my story as a, a father estranged from two daughters for, you know, a decade, somewhat similar to my dad. Right. And my sort of comeback from that. Uh, and, you know, talk about how me and my girls got to that level and uh, the infidelity that sort of sparked the end of my marriage or didn't sort of end of my marriage and that was on my part and you know the role that I played and the mental condition that I felt like I was in coming through that and uh, how I think I came out of it on the other side and you know the the, the path to rebuilding a positive healthy relationship with two beautiful human beings post you know what I mean and so I figured if I can do that and be uh, forthcoming with, with my story then I expect nothing less than from, from anyone else who comes in, you know what I mean? So I sat down with two of my brothers and people who were with me through this ordeal, um, know my character and aren't afraid to tell me where I'm right, uh, I mean, where I'm wrong. And, um, uh, we had a real conversation about it and I'm in the midst of uh, putting that person together and then I got another one with um, a friend who was um, substance abuse addicted uh, I mean, he was substance addicted and came out on the other side of that. So we're going to do one about the, you know, the real inner workings of the of the alcoholic. And, and then I got one with uh, one of my friends who was shot by some uh, nefarious business that his son was involved in. And we're going to talk about uh, inner city gang violence. You know what I mean? As we've seen it and witnessed it uh, from, you know, I think the inside perspective. And, so the hope is to, you know, have these conversations and, and shed light on some, some things that are, you know, run, not one of the mill, but, you know, commonplace for people to talk about and things that might not be so, you know what I mean? Right. Try and grab real opinions and real real stories from real people. And, that sounds amazing. And, uh, and have people be able to sit and listen and hopefully learn something from that, even if you don't agree with what it is that you're hearing. Well, yeah. You know, we can yeah. sit down and, and, and converse and actually... Uh, dialogue without tribalizing, you know. Right, right. It's, yeah, man. It's. I mean, I, I think that's where it's at. And brain. It's. Or and that stuff sounds amazing. I can't wait to hear it. To be I quite honest, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. You should be. You. You. You have an opportunity to help people. Yeah. With that, that's which so cool. which is which is one of the biggest to me the biggest things you can ever do in this world. 
Yeah. Um, so is there a current, uh, is there somebody you're currently in scene with? Notice a video you put up that was I can't breathe. Did you help with that or? That is yeah. That's one of the guys I'm talking about. Mike Coates, the okay. producer of that track, and uh, homeboy and Meezy, um, and a couple of other homeboys there um, did, did a phenomenal job on it. And the, the, the track itself was uh, was in dedication, I guess you could say, to you know the moment that we're living through where yeah. police violence. Still, that's you know that's community, man. <laughs> which yeah. is which is a which is I don't know I know I know throughout the interview I said that a lot, but that's one of the points I try to drive home is that we've got we've got to find community again, you know, within this. Absolutely. Um, well, with that, Orrin, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I mean, we got a, a partner of mine and I. One project that I have is real. Okay. Now I can sort of speak about it. Is uh, is uh, my time in the film world sparked the creative sort of screenwriter in me and cool. a partner of mine and I. We started a publishing company and had a chance. Well, we had a chance to go on a trip to Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico, two and a half years ago now. Awesome. Um, and go to Malibu down there, and that started a two-year-long journey uh, to collaborate with Mel Wolf on a, on a exhibit that's going into Mel Wolf Denver. So oh, awesome. uh, people are going to want to see that. And, you know, we have a yeah. suite of content that's going to accompany our installation in Mel Wolf Denver. Awesome. Um, and it's all about the multiverse and multiversal travel and uh, oh. the story of redemption. It's a pretty so intricate story that we wrote about it. A girl from Denver, Colorado, who becomes the Lord Croft of the multiverse. So awesome, man! That is a project that I am super uh, excited about uh, being involved with, and uh, we're just going through the contract phases right now. We'll be in the installation phase here in about a month uh, inside the facility at, at Meowulf. I mean, it's it's an exciting time in the world. You know what I mean? I don't know what's gonna what it's gonna look like in 2021, but if things don't explode. Um, I think 2021 with the opening of this Meow Wolf exhibit will be will be 
be something to see in the city, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds like a hell of a journey. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long one, man. Hey. <laughs> it's been, right, I, I wouldn't say the day of it, you know what I mean? All right. The, all, the, all the things that we've, uh, that we've kind of covered in this, I think if you don't notice, you probably weren't looking, and you need to do a little more research. <laughs> right. For sure. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, with that, man, hey, thanks for doing an interview, man. Um, yeah, man, yeah. Thank you for joining me. Uh, and Warren... And thank you for listening to Deep Americana. Have a good evening.